Bob's The Marketing Show podcast. Today, we are exploring the world of creative personalization and how tech can play a role in it. To support us on our learning journey, we've brought in a special guest expert to co-host this episode. And that expert is Caitlin Filmer, who heads up AdLib here in Australia. AdLib is an exciting tech platform that allows marketers to take their core creative and turn that into thousands of personalized ads for your different audiences, platforms, and external signals. Yeah, Caitlin brings heaps of detail to this process and how marketers can actually embrace it. We hope you enjoyed the episode and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more, head to our website at themarketingshowpod.com. You. Okay, so today we are talking about creative personalization using tech. So to kick us off, I've got a little bit of a quote from Richard Waterworth, who is the Director of Marketing for EMEA uh, for YouTube. So he says, for a long time, even before the disruption of digital media, the advertising industry lived by the motto, right place, right time, right message. He says, we've seen a huge advance in the first two, largely owing to developments in the programmatic space, but we're still navigating that last bit. And that's the key to maintaining brand magic. So today we're talking about that last part, which is getting the message right. And thanks to dynamic or automated creative software, we can now personalize that right message more effectively than ever before. Joining us on today's episode, we have Caitlin Filmer from AdLib, uh, who's going to help us be our resident expert on all things creative personalization. Thanks for having me, guys. Very excited to be here. We're happy to have you. Good. Well, hopefully I can shed some light on creative personalization. Yeah. Why don't you give us a bit Absolutely. of a rundown? Okay. So I come from a marketing background, um, but have recently started working and setting up the Australian business for AdLib Digital. Essentially, we are a creative management platform that works to help big brands personalize their digital campaigns. Now that sounds like a whole lot of buzzwords rolled into a sentence, but hopefully I can um, help explain to you guys like how you can use tech to make ads more relevant. So our founder um, worked for many years at Google in their DoubleClick team and basically saw that a huge amount of money and focus and time was going into the first equation of digital advertising, which is finding the right person to see your ad at the right time. He saw this huge white space around the fact that there is no money and time and effort being put into the actual messaging that people see um, once the ad's actually been served to them. He saw a huge white space in the market where um, he could focus on building out the tech um, and the processes for making the most relevant messages um, off the back of all that data that goes into finding the right person to see an ad. So what makes digital advertising so exciting is that you can get really granular on finding your right consumer. The reason though that lots of marketeers have been told, you know, you need to personalize your digital advertising, especially with big brands, it's like one of the, the goals for 2020 is to make sure that you're properly personalizing your campaigns and making sure that the person receives the right message that's of most interest to them. The reason that lots of brands aren't doing this is because it's extremely complicated, costly and um, once you've done it, you're not even really sure what drove the performance around like what creative you're showing. So 
they're kind of the three pain points that mean that people aren't doing it properly. I thought I might take you through a little example to show you what I mean by making ads relevant and why it's so tricky to do it. Um, So in the past, I used to look after some ice creams um, from a marketing point of view. It was good that you clarified from a yes, marketing yes. point of view. Like, <laughs> yeah. They weren't like your children I, or something. I mean, they sure felt they like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. waving fans yeah. at these poor ice creams. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was very, very uh, integral to making sure that they got to the right stores at the right time. Um, but basically, you always start with a business insight, right, in working out what the right message is to, for your consumer to see. So an obvious one with ice cream is that depending on what the temperature is, it changes the type of ice cream you want to buy. Mm-hmm. So if you have a business insight that if it's slightly cooler, they might want a really rich indulgent ice cream. Middle of the range, they might want something like a gay time. And if it's really hot, they might want something that's a bit more fruity and refreshing. There you've got an insight around how you could personalise a message. Now, if you were the brand manager for that, um, you know the insights, you know what you want to achieve, but then actually bringing a campaign to life that changes the creative depending on the temperature and where that person is, it becomes infinitely Mm. more difficult. If you guys could whip out your calculator, I'm going to do a little uh, test with you around how many... Did sets of digital creative you would need suddenly become very nervous yes yes this <laughs> is marketing not maths yeah. podcast <laughs> okay this is a it test is. okay so say you're going to do a display campaign now normally there are six sizes different um banner sizes that you would run for a google display campaign if you then had say a hundred locations across australia where you were monitoring the temperature so you'd have a uh, hundred different locations okay. and then say you wanted to group your the product image and the headline um, to three different temperature brackets so um, cool warm and hot um, by virtue of that do you know how many different individual display banner images you would need I mean, I'm not very good with my times tables, but I got 1,800. I did too. That's oh, good. Yeah, nice. Oh, thank God. Good. <laughs> I hope the audience doesn't do the maths and come to something else. Let us know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right in into comments, yeah. the marketing show. <laughs> and show us your working, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. We're, we're exactly. on a learning journey here. Not a good advertisement for Adlib if, if we've got it wrong. Um, but essentially, you know, that's a huge number that's of creative variants. And if you, in a, in approaching it in a normal way, quote unquote, you would need to get a designer to create every single variation mm-hmm. of those ads. It becomes prohibitive from a cost and time point of view for a brand to then do quite a simple version of a personalized campaign if they've got a really broad reach and um, maybe not a huge amount of production budget. So this is kind of where AdLib comes in. We use tech to partly to um, build out that creative. So we can actually get a campaign with hundreds or thousands of variations live within about 10 days by virtue of how we um, automate the production process of those ads. We also then act as a project management suite so that 
you can come up with your idea, you can use existing assets um, and manage everything within the platform, which also then, not to get too technical at this point, but uh, automatically traffics those ads into Google or Facebook mm. or any other major advertising platform so that you're also not serving the wrong image to the wrong audience. So it basically removes a whole lot of the manual pain points that come into bringing a campaign to life. Mm. We also help with the strategy, for example. Um, that example that I just mentioned around the ice creams, all it requires are product images and a business insight, right? So you don't need hundreds of different images to do a good personalized campaign. Um, you know, you can get as simple or as complicated as you like in terms of um, making sure that that message is as relevant to the consumer as possible. Mm. So yeah, we also act as a bit of a learning platform. Brand marketeers are really passionate about trying to bring data into their decision making. I'm sure all of us at some point have had a moment where their boss has said subjectively they like the picture of this person rather than another person as the model for their campaign based on nothing other than gut feel. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about digital is that you can test really quickly on real audiences and the cool thing about AdLib is that you can we help you make that A-B testing um, and creative optimization a lot easier. Yes, yeah, super exciting. Mm -hmm. Like it, I think, you know, referring to the good old days of like spending all your time making one great creative and then sort of hoping it resonates with lots and lots of different people. And we know that everyone's different. So yeah. it's so cool to see that tech has come to a place where they can really help us to optimize that creative further for those audiences. A hundred percent. It's definitely like the Renaissance era. Like you, you think about the Mad Men days or, you know, all the different types of testing people mm -hmm. would have been or have tried to do in the past for creative. You know, you'd have had focus yeah. groups and yeah. different things in person where there's, you can test at scale. Like it is a really, really exciting platform and yeah. really, really exciting time to be a marketer. And the fun thing is like, there's been so much data around kind of the audience side of things, but creative has always kind of, sat in this bubble where people have said oh no creative isn't something that you can kind of track or mm. it's it, this is trying to put a little bit of science behind you know yeah. what images look like mm. we've got this cool machine learning um, aspect to adlib where they ran a study that used hundreds of thousands of images and tested it on lots and lots of people to basically see what images were more memorable for human the mm. human brain and we've essentially used that raw data set to then um, and all the campaigns we've subsequently run to basically build out what makes a memorable image and so we can apply that level of science for our clients before they actually send mm. their ads live and score images to make sure they're using the best yeah. images possible and this will never completely replace, you know, amazing creative that big agencies, you know, that make amazing ads that tug at the heartstrings and things like that. That's there's a bit of art and science in making sure the message is right, but it's good that we can help with the actual science side of it. Mm, yeah, it's cool as well. Like I'm sure you can have that like initial insight as to what images work mm -hmm. and then you can do your testing. And then I'm sure because it's a platform, you can see afterwards like what you ran last year yeah. and, and then take that learning into your next year as well for exactly, your audience. Exactly, which often gets lost. Um, often we put ads live and then 
start afresh the year after. Yeah. But if you have, um, if you test your business insights, if you um, are able to work out what length of headline resonates with your audience, for example, um, there's some quick and easy wins to do proper digital creative. Very cool. It's great to get a bit of a backstory <laughs> on AdLib and what you do there. It's a really cool platform. Um, I think what we can do now is dive into some of the principles behind uh, creative personalization uh, and having our expert, Caitlin, here to sort of guide us, guide us on this journey. So the first thing uh, I found when I was researching was that, you know, before you even create anything, you need to know who you're actually going to target it to because that's going to inform the creative and then all of the different versions that you make. So how would you go about actually creating those audience segments? Absolutely. So at AdLib, we don't we take a media agency's view on the audience structure, but essentially, what you always need to start with a proper insight around your consumer. Um, if you haven't got a clear understanding of who your consumer is, it's really hard to build out those audiences. Um, there are kind of different ways to use audience structure to build out new creative. Um, the first is whether you're collecting your own first party data. A really good way to target people is um, by using consumer data that you know they're yeah. interested in your product. You guys have also talked about before, um, like Google and Facebook data. Mm. These two behemoths have a lot of information lot of about all of us. <laughs> Terrifying, but for a different episode. Um, <laughs> and basically that means that they know a lot about you and what your interests are. So you're able to actually build out audience segmentations there. The way that we structure what to help our clients like look at their personalized campaigns is we kind of take a approach around or using different signals so your first group of signals could be audience data Mm. that would be like uh, you might be selling a product and you know that it might resonate with um eco-friendly females between a certain age group or luxury shoppers between a certain age group Mm -hmm. and you can then tailor your message or imagery based on those different groups that would be from an insight that you as a brand had seen previously that these are my different types of shoppers Um, another option which is a bit broader would be around using a full funnel approach so um we call it like prospecting and retargeting. So if someone's, you might put a broad brand message out there and if someone's interacted with your website or your ads, you can then use that signal to send them a more relevant um, message or perhaps give them a offer. So change the headline to 30% off if you sign up today or something like that. Mm. So kind of a full funnel approach or external um, signals. Um, we Some of our clients have done great things around serve a certain headline if it's five days before Christmas, four days before Christmas, three days, and change that messaging to drive a sense of urgency. Um, you can do things, uh, we had a skincare brand who used pollution levels based mm. on where people were to like change what attribute of their skincare product was actually the focus. Um, so if it was a really high pollution day, they would talk about the properties um, that make it more relevant for the people in London who yeah. are living in smog. Um, and so there's like, uh, and same thing, simple ones like weather or location based. Um, so 
yeah, there's they're kind of the three buckets that we suggest people personalize yeah. their creative around. It's cool to think about the other ways you can do it if you don't have really rich first party data, because mm-hmm. I think that can be a, a really big like barrier for some brands is I don't have my own data, so how could I ever formulate this perfect you know funnel approach? Yeah. Especially if you don't own your distribution point as mm-hmm. well. If you sell through a third party, you might not necessarily have that funnel of, well, this person came in and then clicked and then bought. Yep. Uh, so it's cool to look at those other signals and, and I think it's really smart a smart way to do it. Yeah, and I think a lot of brands struggle to think, how, would, how do I start? Mm. Um, we take an interesting approach where we basically say, we get brands to write out their, their key business insight and then do build out a bit of a hypothesis around um, what they would like to test and why they think people are purchasing their product. Um, and then essentially say okay here are all the things you could change your image your call to action your headline like um and then what would you change in that to test your hypothesis Mm -hmm. and it's amazing lots of people who work in marketing know a lot more about their brands than they probably uh, are, are cognizant of and so it's a really good just to sit down and hypothesize around what is actually driving um, my consumer to click on an ad is a, yeah, a really good way to get started. Mm. And e- even if you're a brand that's not big enough to have a tech-based solution for that, you can do some quite simple steps before that to, to test out, A-B test an image, for example, yeah. with your different audiences to see what they prefer as you said you could even just take some of like those existing third-party audiences from facebook or google and and just start testing different creators with different audiences as long as you've got the sort of parameters in place of what the test is and and what success looks like yeah can learn a lot yes always make sure that your uh, metrics are decided yeah, before, before you start your yeah. campaign <laughs> <laughs> there's this great there's this great thing on google analytics if you're learning to do it and it's like you cannot change your metrics after. We actually do not allow you to. Like, it's so funny. It's like, yeah, they're just like. Good. Yeah. Thanks, Google. Yeah. Nice one. And then when it comes to an actual creative standpoint, how, where would you start with understanding, you know, that you've got a really good core piece of creative to start one from as a building block? You know, do we go to the art gallery first and get really inspired and then start looking at creative? Or are there any other steps you recommend before that? For all good campaigns, you need a core campaign idea. Um, it's a you end up with a very unclear message if you are just trying to piece together a campaign um, without that clear vision that's solving that clear business insight that we talked about prior. Um, there are obviously lots of amazing creative agencies out there. The way that AdLib works with them is um, your creative agency will come up with the core concept and the beautiful brand assets around that. Um, What we will then do is work alongside that to work out, okay, how do we then tweak that messaging or tweak the imagery or change the products that's been shown in the variations of the ad to that specific consumer to make it as relevant as possible. Essentially, if you have a terrible piece of creative you're going to get terrible results, yeah, unfortunately. Many versions yeah. of terrible ads. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, thousands of terrible ads is not going to do any better than one terrible ad. Um, and we know, again, there are lots of stats out there about this, but uh, Google Media Lab 
um, research has shown that 70% of campaign performance is down to creative, which basically means con- content is still king. Um, and that's something that brands need to be really aware of when they're actually starting on this journey. Mm-hmm. So the way that we work is by taking that imagery, slicing and dicing as required to then um, be able to make lots of variations. Um, but yeah, as long as it all builds up to that set, um, unified creative concept, then you're in for a winner, I think. It's um, it's so important. It's almost like the old like saying, like garbage in, garbage out. Like yes. put a crap piece of creative into this platform <laughs> and you'll just get lots of crap. Lots of crap, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah Tragic think, but true. <laughs> yeah. It's also uh, probably a sigh of relief for the creatives out there. I mean, it's, it's still it's super important to have great creative to start with. 100%. And this goes back to that um, art versus science thing that I was mm. talking about before. But like essentially, and, and we always hear this from the Facebooks and Googles of the world where it's like you you want to have thumb-stopping creative. For digital ads, we know each channel is slightly different in how people you view content on it. So you want to make sure that um, your most memorable and, you know, uh, eye-catching creative is up front so that people actually stop and look at your ad. So uh, we're finding with the evolution of um, creative in the digital space a lot of agencies have been brought up in the era of tv Mm. big beautiful amazing brand assets but um some haven't had the training in a digital first mindset and that's where tech solutions can come in to say this is we know that you need to frame your six second bumper in this way to get the most out of it the science part but we still want that amazing creative idea the art side of Mm. it to make sure that it's as eye-catching as possible yeah so it's a yeah trying to put a digital first spin on amazing creative is kind of Mm. it's almost like taking a really talented athlete and giving them the right training programs and the right food yeah 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 yeah. make sure they can go and win those championships and you obviously can't have one without the other so It's really cool that in the past, you know, um, our athletic creators might have just been eating junk food and yes. not sleeping enough. <laughs> a bit lazy. Like, um, whereas now it's like we've got these awesome tools to help them um, do some awesome slam dunks. So. I uh, watched Game Changers the other night. Oh, yeah. I was like, maybe I'll be an awesome athlete if I eat <laughs> vegan food. <laughs> it hasn't worked, guys. <laughs> So it's creative on vegan food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's also like goes back to sweating the assets. Like Mm -hmm. you can still like TV is still a relevant channel for a lot of brands, but there's now so many other channels that we need to think about. So you're actually increasing the value of the creative that you initially make by making it more usable for other channels. Yeah. We also offer, this is um, probably an additional offering once we've onboarded clients and things, but if they've got a clear campaign imagery um we do something called creative tagging so every image that gets put into our asset manager we tag to a very in-depth detail so it might say so we have an office dog that we use in our demo accounts (laughs) Um, and so we'll use the office dog ad as like our our basis but essentially if it's a picture of a schnauzer like buy dog food um it will tag it as schnauzer, blue background, um, dog, collar. All the in-depth details of the ad um, get tagged. 
we're then able to track at a really detailed level click-through rates across um, not that not just that one ad but every piece of creative that has a dog in it that that advertiser has put out into mm. the world mm. um, and be a, over time the more data we get the more we're able to say okay schnauzers versus labs are driving click-through wow. rates um, to help broadly inform that wow. and I think there's yeah really cool insights that we'll be able to build up over time with mm. advertisers to see what works best for their brand moving forward yeah I came across this term that I love when I was researching for this called atomization okay so like to each if you think of like the the what makes up a good creative image as all the little parts are atoms mm -hmm. and you tag all the atoms you could then like feasibly although I don't know if you'd want to test like dog with collar versus dog yeah. without collar yeah well we um that's ex kind of without losing the the art part of creative um there are certain things that we know work better and I can say this because I am one but humans essentially have monkey brains and uh, it um you make split-second decisions uh, based on things that you see rather than consciously evaluating every single thing that you see in life, right? So if there are certain colours that resonate better with people mm. or length of headlines or font size, there are some basic building blocks around getting creative imagery correct that we should all be doing as a basic minimum yeah. um, and then go and do the exciting creative outside of those basic parameters yeah it's it's um it's really interesting psychology we actually mm. ages ago looked at this on our um creative and marketing episode it's like your brain is predicting what it wants to say or what it thinks it's about to see and just fills in the gaps yes and there's heaps of these things you can look at online which show you things that your brain will tell you is one thing but then if you look at it again you'll realize that it's something else Fast. there's like a turning mask thing it's yeah. really, really cool well, I, don't, I don't know if this is true but um, <laughs> this is probably one of those marketing <laughs> wives tales but um, <laughs> basically um, they there was a study where they b boxes of cereal essentially the brand teams would know what shelf these boxes of cereal would mm. be on and the average height of a child and so would get the eyes to look in the direction of the the child that was walking down the supermarket aisle. So because they have studies that say if you're making eye contact with something, it it makes you want like to the purchase eyes it. on the box. Mm. Yeah. So like the monkey, the Coco Pops monkey would be like looking, looking at the game. <laughs> don't know. I'm gonna look up if that's yeah, actually yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Louvre in like the museum of Louvre. Oh, like yeah. when they have like when they need, when they decided where to position the Mona Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> so if they were looking she's at all the watching, different yeah. yeah, how she's watching, they're like, well actually if we position her a little bit further up, yeah. she'll be looking at all the tourists. All the people, yeah. I think it's a hype strategy. They're like, we're gonna actually reprint it smaller, like a postcard, which is actually what it's like. Yeah. So then it draws a crowd because no one can see and then it looks like it's really popular and it, it's like Smart. a hype strategy. It's yeah. all PR. Yeah. <laughs> Look, and if anyone's listening from the Lewis marketing team, we'd love to reach or out and learn how you yeah. Yeah, set or up any cereal brand. <laughs> uh, okay, Caitlin, uh, this mm. is really awesome. We've talked about creative, starting with something great and then mm. all these great iterations you can make and they can tag everything up. It's super technical. We love it. Uh, what next? We've got to assess what actually works, right? That is correct. So let's say we've put out 
a bunch of virgin, you know, 1800 versions yep. of our ice cream <laughs> campaign mm-hmm. uh, based on what the weather is and all the different formats and locations. Uh, how would we actually go about setting that up? And as we said, prior to actually going live. Absolutely. So the, from the outset, you know, we talked about choosing your metrics before you start your campaign. Same thing with um, hypotheses and your testing strategy. So we would work with clients to basically have a testing roadmap for the year and say, what what do we actually want to learn by doing all these different variations? A really simple example is uh, we've done some work with a glasses brand. They had different audiences and wanted to know whether just a picture of the glasses work or um, an image with a person wearing glasses mm. resonates. So you structure it as a proper A-B test. So they get the same number of impressions for both just product or model and product. And they were essentially able to find that different audiences reacted differently to those images mm. and then used that as a base moving forward to say, for these audiences, we always do just product. And for these audiences, we always have a model in the display ads that we serve. So there are really simple ways to kind of drive the efficiency of your advertising and reduce like the cost per acquisition. Um, So making your media far more efficient by virtue of doing these tests as you go through your campaigns. Mm. So another piece of work that we've been involved in is with a um, aid to quitting smoking essentially a whole lot of their ads were based around um the the concept of quitting smoking and using their product to stop doing something uh it was an always on campaign and they decided to swap in it's very easy once we've set it up to dynamically swap in different headlines and so they decided to try headlines that were more positively framed so um this is not a real example, but like want to run a marathon, quit, uh, want to run a marathon, try our product. Um, So no mention of quitting something and no making you feel like you're doing something wrong in their ads. They saw a huge spike in click through based on that Mm. headline. Um, So they swapped in a few more positively framed headlines and that actually went um, to the point that they realized that that was resonating far better with their audiences than their previous tact and it actually then went on to influence their outdoor campaigns and um through being able to test insights on digital they were able to frame the rest of their campaign strategy so this is another very silly example but if you've ever had a debate with your boss around which picture or background you like better um, and you feel like you've been overruled uh, you've got an entire audience of your actual consumers out there that you can really quickly test which one which background resonates better and without actually being of any real detriment and then moving forward with your campaign based on insights rather than you know, gut feels of mm. of the team members. So it's always a, it's always a fun one. It, it sounds like you've seen this. Yeah, before. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to go into it. I can say nothing more. Yeah. Well, even with our, like when we decided to do our branding visually for our mm. podcast, right? Like we 
took an assumption as to what we thought looked best mm. and, and what would solve the problem well. But yeah. I know Mark and I, we're, we're thinking about you know exploring options to rebrand one day and, and do an in-depth series on, on how we go about doing it. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely going to be a cool way for us potentially to test any new designs yeah. and, and yeah. new thinking as well, which yeah um, might help us get better results or and just like other people as yeah. well. We also had a um, great example with a bank in Singapore um, where they were they wanted to do a giveaway. A, um, a gift with purchase kind of thing. So once you signed up to a credit card, you could, uh, they were like, we don't know if people want, like uh, it was like a handbag, a trip away, or mm. I think there was an, another really rad, <laughs> random <laughs> item. And they were like, let's, let's, um, they had a clear audience strategy um, and they basically tried each of those three items um, with each of those audiences to see which resonated the best and quickly then changed their promotional giveaway based on the one that was getting the most uplift. So a cool way to test a physical mm. promotional giveaway um, within a couple of weeks they had the data to then yeah. reframe their entire strategy. Yeah, it's like a consumer insights platform yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually remembered what that third physical item or gift was. It was free durian for a year. Yes, that's yes. right, that's right. <laughs> Which no one chose, weirdly. Yeah, it didn't, didn't perform well. <laughs> So uh, once we have once we have an idea of what our creative is, Caitlin, and we've, we've gone about doing some A/B tests, um, how do we go about optimizing on the fly as the test is going live? Once we start getting some learnings coming through, absolutely. So with AdLib, we have we have integrations into um, Google and Facebook, which means anything you see in Google Analytics, for example, will be pulled through into our platform. Um, same with Facebook. So essentially, you are able to review your campaign in real time as the campaign progresses. You are also then able to filter those results. So if you worked with a media agency or you were doing your own um, review of your reporting, you would be able to see at an ad level what um, click-through rates were. You know, if you were doing any, um, tracking any floodlights, for example, you would be able to see your conversion metrics. What AdLib does is add an extra layer to that data so you are able to filter by specific headline or specific image so you can track the creative elements not just the ad itself so if you have thousands of different variations that are using a whole matrix of different images and different headlines you're able to really clearly see what's driving that inevitably if you're showing one ad um, and crossing your fingers and hoping for the best you will get a set of results if you have a thousand variations that use insights to kind of build out more personalized ads, you are automatically increasing your chances that some are gonna perform better and some are gonna perform worse. At AdLib, we basically track that and then say, we suggest getting rid of these underperforming ads. And we can also see what the top performing ads have in common are pictures of people in it rather than just yeah. your product. By virtue of that, let's try and find some more images with people in it and replace those underperforming ads with new interesting creative to continue to optimize and learn as we go through. So actively managing your creative is such a powerful tool, particularly mid-campaign. I know, again, probably some of the bigger outfits out there doing their marketing um, 
don't really know how their ads performed until they get a post-campaign analysis, you know, a month after the campaign's been live. Um, So being able to actually monitor and make real-time changes is incredibly powerful Mm. um, and inevitably leads to better performing campaigns. And how often would you be checking your campaign? Um, So we basically, within the tool, we have um, an ability to show statistical significance. So if you are doing a really small campaign, it's difficult to optimise. If you're not serving enough impressions, any insights you get might not be worth making decisions on. You want a big enough data set to say, it's clear that this headline's performing better than another headline or this image is performing better than another. For most of our clients, they will will help them work out how many variations they should do to be able to test properly. if you have that, um, we generally give it two to three weeks to reach that mm. statistical significance. Enough people have seen the ad to make a clear decision on what's working and what's not. Um, and then action those. We take a day basically to change the background coding to pull in a different headline if that's what you're changing or mm. an image. And it can go live basically from that day after onwards. Mm. So. You might also, we've seen with clients, they might have an always-on campaign that talks about their product, but a competitor has come out with an amazing offer on an e-commerce purchase and they want to go with a more aggressive offer to market. We're able to switch that on within a day to then help brands be reactive to things that are happening in the market or something interesting happens in the news and you want to stay fun and relevant, you can swap in a headline that makes you makes your brand involved in whatever the hot topic of the day is. Mm. So there's lots of cool ways to change creative mid-campaign to, um, to make sure that you're continually driving that media yeah. efficiency. One of the things I really like about it is that you could be running like a, a brand campaign on like other more traditional channels, say for the whole year. Mm-hmm. And you could then also be having all these reactionary sort of ads in display or yeah. social media, wherever they're going. And because you've started with that same core creative asset, yep. it can still all feel connected and as one as a brand campaign. Absolutely. And you don't have to then separately brief for each of those. Yeah. I think a lot of brands get stuck with being reactive because to turn around the building of that creative yeah. and get it live and get all the right people yeah. to sign off and, mm. and so on and so forth. It takes a bit of time. With this, there's a, you know, you can basically just email us and tell us that you want a, a different headline or a different image and um, it can be live within the day. Mm. So really cool ways to become a far more, reactive is the wrong word, but on trend. Yeah, 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 marketeer. So. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, especially with like challenger brands being a bit of a buzzword that's going around the marketing space mm-hmm. at the moment, you know, and whether you're a big brand or a smaller brand that wants to tap into what it means to kind of take on and, and be a bit... Um, out there with your messaging um, yeah. to get so, a lot of reach. Like this is the perfect tool for that. So if you exactly. are maybe a smaller player looking um, to speak in high volumes and you know maybe have your smaller voice amplified, yes. this sounds like a really creative way to do that. Absolutely. It also lets people take a, a few more risks, I think, mm-hmm. because if you can see quite quickly that it's not working, mm-hmm. you just change it back to your more traditional yeah. headlines or, yeah, it's a a nifty tool to make 
big marketing campaigns more nimble, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wow. nice one. All right, Caitlin, so we want to wrap up all the learnings we've just had in a, <laughs> in a nice case study so we can bring it to life. Uh, I've got one uh, from AdLib's website that I found, which is HSBC, the bank. Um, they So HSBC have four key products they offer, which is credit cards, mortgages, loans, and savings accounts. Uh, and in order to, to increase cut through in a cluttered display ad marketing environment, they decided to take on a dynamic approach of their creative. So prior to implementing, as we've said, it's important to set up the testing platform that you're going to do. And this is exactly what HSBC HSBC did. So what they did was they tested multiple creative iterations in real time to get that instant feedback on what was working and what wasn't, and then optimized the campaign straight away to be able to play the most effective creatives. Uh, and this reduced the amount of time it takes HSBC to actually do this creative testing from three months to two days. So pretty epic way to, to cut down some time and save some money in the process. Uh, when they ran this campaign after they optimized it, uh, they had uh, resulted in stronger click-through rates and conversion rates versus the benchmark of previous campaigns. And to give you a flavor of how much better they were, their conversions actually shot up by 51%. So I think you know one of the key things I'm taking out of this is that you do a lot of the hard work of making a really great piece of creative, and then there's now a solution to do something not that hard to make lots of different iterations and tests that can have a huge benefit in, in the outcome. Essentially, there's a lot of low hanging fruit with campaigns yeah. and like there's a clear reason why people haven't been doing it today because it's very costly and very yeah. time consuming. Um, what we are excited about doing is applying tech to remove those manual pain points that make it actually able for brands to have really impactful campaigns with only a small amount of effort required mm. to actually bring it to life. Yeah, it's like how many times have you heard of or been in a situation where you're just struggling to get your one piece of creative ready yes. for the yes. campaign to go live? <laughs> you know, thinking about approving hundreds yeah. becomes... Yeah, a... let alone yeah, thinking of them briefing all the iterations. Yeah. Um, I think it's something that can keep marketeers up at night. So this is, this is a really nice one to not only improve the effectiveness of campaigns, but also I just get better sleep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. Okay, well, thank you for coming to the show, Caitlin, and for um, teaching us all about uh, creative optimization. We've definitely learned a lot that we can take away, and um, yeah, some I think some new interesting concepts that Mark and I can think about um, as we continue to grow our podcast as well, which is really really cool. Um, but on that note, in order to be really great marketers, we know we need to stay interested and engaged in the world. So we'd love to ask you, uh, what have you found interesting this week? Yes. So, um, unfortunately, I'm coming off not a huge amount of sleep after attending a 30th birthday party last night. Um, but my hot tip this week is that everyone should read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And if you don't feel like reading it, he has done lots of interviews, including on Joe Rogan and Deliciously Ella. So if you can't be bothered to read it, go and listen to it. But he essentially tells us about the fact that sleep loss across the world, particularly in developing countries, is like the greatest public health challenge that we're going to face this century. Um, slightly terrifying, mm. um, but super, super interesting on how important sleep is to every aspect of your life. And like a, a loss of a couple of hours of sleep. So if you're only sleeping six or seven hours, how much worse you perform <laughs> in every really? aspect moving wow. forward. It's fascinating. Um, and then, like, interestingly, like, how 
sleeping tablets and things change like the form of your sleep so Mm. that's actually not really a great solution what alcohol does to your sleep patterns caffeine like absolutely fascinating wow so 2020 is the year of getting a full eight hours in uh, my household we'll see if that works but uh yeah it's uh yeah super interesting recommended read it's cool to like kind of scary actually to think about if you've been running on like six to seven hours of sleep for years (laughs) and it impacts your performance that much like how much has it changed your life by not getting enough sleep exactly right it's funny right we can often look at different like supplementations or even mm. sometimes we can look to diet to make mm-hmm. improvements into the way we feel or perform. But, you know, realistically, maybe just getting an extra hour is probably going to be the biggest bang the biggest for your buck. And, yeah. um, oftentimes is the, is the cheapest supplement for optimum performance. Exactly. Right? And he talks about how we've developed this strange relationship with sleep where it's mm. like if you're an entrepreneur who, like, sleeps two hours a night and, like, what a legend you are like, because, <laughs> like, sleep has become the enemy of productivity yeah. when in actual fact it's so important and he's like it's we're so vulnerable when we're sleeping that like if it wasn't so vital evolution would have meant that we would sleep fewer and fewer oh, hours yeah. but unfortunately like it's so vital to like every part of our body functioning that we haven't evolved out of needing to sleep those eight hours mm. So there we go. Yeah, wow, that's fascinating. Life hack. I like it also, like, if you rethink about how you think about people who don't sleep very much, like, the traditional norm is that you must be high-powered and very busy and, and like, super successful if you're sending emails at 2 a.m. Yes. Because you've mastered sleep or or something like that. But actually, like, you can look at it as, like, a real lack of organisation and the ability to recognise the productivity benefits of sleeping. 100%. He said that there's, like... One, so people who say they don't need eight hours of sleep are not telling the truth because there's like only less than 1% of the population who truly don't need yeah. eight hours. So yeah. there you go, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, sleep faster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Arnold, I'm sleeping as fast as I can. We can only do our best. <laughs> um, on that note, Mark, uh, what have you found interesting this week? So I've got a region of the world that I'm finding interesting oh, wow. this week. Oh, okay. uh, and it is Central Asia. Ooh. So a friend of mine and I have been planning a trip to Central Asia for about three years, and every year it gets <laughs> postponed. Uh, I'm not going to throw any blame out there, but I have never postponed it myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but look, so now it's, it's on this year. We are going later this year. We're booking flights this month. I'm so excited. Uh, and over the last couple of weeks, I've been reading a lot about this region, um, Central Asia, uh, to sort of make sure that when I'm there, like Central Asia is not a place you go to a lot, I don't think. So I, I want to make the most of it when yeah. I'm there. Uh, so I found it super fascinating to research because what I found is that Central Asia for many years up until like the 80s was considered like this blob on the map that wasn't even mapped properly. Like it was literally just in the middle of like the, the west and the east and it's just like, like I don't know what's there. Like, and, and it's really interesting. Um, so it's like this melting pot of culture and language because what you've had is that like thousands of years ago there was all these nomadic tribes and then Russia came over and took them in as part of the USSR. So they sort of became this communist, uh, I guess, extension of Russia. But then in the 80s when there was this, uh, when the sort of, I guess, the Iron Curtain went back 
and these countries were left to their own devices is really interesting space to be because they had to create their own culture again and their own governments. And then there was people living there that were Russian who had never actually lived in Russia. Like they were born there. So you've got people who are Russian who don't really feel at home there anymore, but also don't feel at home in Russia. And then you've got all these nomadic tribes, people or descendants of coming out of the woodwork and trying to establish their own culture again. Um, And I think the thing that really spells it out for me is like, they all have their own languages and dialects, but they all speak Russian as their their true language, or I guess their like English is for a lot of other countries. Russian yeah. is that language there. So where are you going to go in Central Asia? So it's changing week by week based on <laughs> Donald Trump's uh, uh, tweets. Uh, so Good. originally we wanted to fly to Iran and then take it from there, but that's now well and truly off the table. Yes. Uh, so we're looking to go into Turkmenistan. So that is on the New York Times list of places to go in 2020. Oh, so you're the trend, yeah. beating them. Go yeah. Um, well, yeah. Well, yeah, if yeah. you get there. If it's not postponed <laughs> to 2021. Year, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, um, Uzbekistan, awesome. and up through to Kazakhstan. So Epic. Yeah, really, really cool yeah. part of the world. Um, and if anyone's interested in just learning more about like the region or different cultures, it's fascinating awesome wow it's fantastic well it definitely sounds very nice you so. guys could do a pod from there yes <laughs> <laughs> that was a borat reference yeah. 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 um but yeah it sounds awesome you have to keep us posted on the journey and um definitely uh we'll try to give out some marketing show merch when uh yeah. when you're over there <laughs> yeah it's a new audience for us to the to. we just need some personalized creative i think for those yeah. markets and in both yeah. russian yeah. and their yes. nomadic tribe speak as well um, um but that definitely sounds like an awesome personal journey we can't wait to see the photos and, and stuff and hopefully yeah it all comes together yeah yeah exactly anyone who's been who's listening to the pod uh, looking for tips so just um, send those in on our LinkedIn page uh, but what did you find interesting this week Mark yeah so uh, so I've achieved a personal goal this Ooh. week behind the scenes which I, I wanted to, to share um, I finished the uh, pro packs of headspace meditations this week. I've been wondering yeah. why you're levitating today. I know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just, so I flew here, <laughs> which has been really cool. I've just been like going to different dimensions during this interview and yeah. this podcast, which has been great as well. Um, but it gets, it's, I started off my meditation journey maybe two years ago when I took it like quite seriously. Um, and uh, it's brought like a whole heap of amazing benefits. And um, I think before I started on the pro level packs of Headspace, which for listeners that um, are not aware, Headspace is a really popular meditation app uh, where you can listen to structured recordings of uh, mindfulness meditation um, as you go along different steps and different journeys. And their pro pack is where it just gets really real. It's no longer themed, it's just kind of pure meditation and it's a little bit more silent at times, which is quite interesting. Um, but I'd done all the different packs and different things before kind of committing to doing the pro level uh, packs um, consistently, kind of every day. Um, and I was a little bit scared going into them, to be honest, because I think I'd gotten so many amazing benefits when I first started using the app and doing things that were a little bit more guided and themed. And sitting down and doing things with a little bit more science in between kind of advice and recording seemed a little bit daunting. And I kind of was worried that this um, kind of perception that I had of meditation was going to go away, mm-hmm. that it was actually I couldn't meditate and I didn't like it and that the year I'd spent doing it, doing it in a really structured way wasn't great. Um, but it was amazing and I'm really, really glad I did it. it, um, it there's some really amazing advice that Andy Puttycomb, who is the main voice of the Headspace app, um, kind of gives throughout these different pro levels. Um, and it was just it was a really cool challenge that was very obviously very quiet. 
um, but something quite difficult as well. So if mm. anyone's listening and is um, a fan of the Headspace app, definitely just dive in it and, and don't be afraid to give it a go. I found that um, doing it consistently every day made uh, the larger silent stretches of meditation a lot easier. How many minutes do you do? I do it for uh, 15 to 20. Awesome. Yeah. So my boyfriend got me a Headspace subscription for the nice. year for Christmas. Oh, yes. I was like, I was like, is that a, a signal of some description? <laughs> <laughs> I need to chill out. <laughs> but um, it's awesome. It's so it's good. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So def- yeah, I'm doing five good. minutes at a time at the moment, but planning start to start somewhere. Yeah. Just start somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. How are you um, meditating at the moment? Do you do it on a chair or? I have a a special chair that we don't really use for any other reason. <laughs> it's become my meditating chair. So yeah. yeah. That's really That's uh, awesome. getting involved, but I I actually love it, and yeah. it's amazing how quickly you can see results or personally mm. how quickly yeah. i've been able to see results after having done it for like a you know a week now yeah it's crazy right like i didn't realize when i first started doing it it'll be so tangible and i can definitely yeah. notice tonight if i take two weeks off or so like i definitely do feel a lot of the differences in my performance mm-hmm. and the way i'm feeling and, and things so yeah it's been really really cool and, and quite cool to go that extra step and try the pro levels eventually and kind of see it was nothing to be too worried about yeah. and this is definitely something i'm going to keep up probably for a lifetime or at least as long as possible. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I'll let you know once I've uh, yeah. upgraded my meditative skill sets. Yeah, look, we can we can all fly around and we can visit you, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> See you I'm in Central Asia. We could do a yeah, meditating yeah. podcast and just sit Ooh. in silence yeah. for a while. <laughs> well, we I think Headspace did that. <laughs> well, my, so I, I actually tried a couple of the pro packs yeah. and I got too scared. I was like, I'm not ready. So I actually yeah. stepped back and went to some more of the structured ones. So it's cool to hear that you've gone through it now and you actually feel like it was super beneficial. It's weird, right? Like I, I was like, sometimes, you know, you go on like a big roller coaster ride and you're like, oh, this is like a dangerous thing. Or like if I've been surfing big waves before, I've known that this is like a tangible thing I'm afraid of. But I was like, wait, I'm already meditating. This is, a, this is just a little bit more silence potentially. Like let's yeah. just go for it. Yeah. So it was a really weird internal challenge to work through and I'm really glad that I kind of got there and yeah. realized it wasn't anything to be too afraid of but yeah definitely give it a go it it definitely kicks off There's yeah some cool advice in there uh congratulations like that's super cool that you've made it through to the yeah. pro packs like and there's lots of them as well I've, I've got a question for you yes please do. in the last level do yeah. you press start and it's just silence the whole time <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever realize you know that what? that's kind of weird like, you, know, <laughs> you know what I thought I thought it was gonna be like the soup like in Super Mario Brothers where like you finish the game and like all these credits come out yeah and like yeah. unlock into Confetti. this secret level yeah exactly <laughs> But no, there's just an internal prize. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I wanted to. What am I working towards yeah, then? Yeah. I, was like, I thought I was going to get like a knock on the door and Andy's going to come on, just give me a big hug and go, mate, like, great job. I've levitated. I've flown here um, to come and see you. Like, a deep, yeah. impactful hug. Yeah, that would exactly. be wonderful. Um, but yeah, give, give it a shot and let us know how you go. Um, but Katyn, thanks again for coming on the show today. Thank if anyone you. wants to learn more about Adlib or um, you and, and, and what we've spoken about on today on the show, how can people reach you? Absolutely. So our website is ad-lib.io. Ooh. Um, and so take a look at the website um, and also feel free to email us at contact at ad-lib.io if uh, you have any interest or reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, It's a really exciting space and one that I'm really proud and happy to be a part of. So yeah, uh, as we grow and um, as the tech gets more advanced in this space, I'm sure 
everyone will hear a lot more from us. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. If you want to learn more about creative personalization, head to adlib.io. That's ad-lib.io to check out the platform. Yeah, and if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. You can also learn more at our website, themarketingshowpod.com. Thank you.